Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. There are some things in life that you just need to experience before you're going to fully understand, fully comprehend what it is uh, that maybe you were thinking about or talking about. Uh, And it may be something that you have been talking about or thinking about for a long time, but until you actually experience that thing, that thing that was a concept, uh, just it's not the same anymore when you step into that moment and you experience it. You go, what are you talking about? Uh, Let me give you an example. Several years ago, I saw this experiential understanding unfold uh, with my kids, with Jack and with Lucy. We had uh, been talking about taking them to go see the Grand Canyon. And uh, we had a spring break trip planned for that. And kind of leading up to the spring break trip, I had been there a couple of times. And so I knew what I was talking about because I had experienced it. Certainly I had seen it uh, in, in uh, movies or, you know, online or I'd read about it. But, man, I had also been there. So I had a different level of comprehension. And, man, we looked at videos online. We went to YouTube. We saw different things. And, and then when, when they stepped up, we drove up and parked and walked up to the set to the the edge of the south rim of the Grand Canyon and I just my eyes were on them while their eyes are out here and they were just like oh my goodness and in an instant what they had been seeing online or reading about went to a totally different level of understanding because they were experiencing it and we had this great guide I think his name was Shane uh, and, and was it Shane is that right Shane Sean this guy he was great he, he was awesome he was so memorable and he uh, he took us down into the canyon and it was unbelievable and then we were like wow you you just moved from standing up there looking at it to experiencing it in a whole different way and there's some like minute percentage of people who actually go to the Grand Canyon that get below the rim of the Grand Canyon so we had this whole new experience and man I really experienced it uh, drive, walking back up and it was just an amazing amazing uh, opportunity there's just some things in life that we can talk about it you can read about it you can hear others give perspective about it but until you experience it it's just a concept there's a difference when you step into that experience firsthand and as we look this morning at the prayer of one of our uh, fathers in the faith named Moses, Uh, we're going to see something about his prayers that he was experiencing, and I'll just confess to you, in a different way than I have experienced God. Uh, my prayer life is different than Moses's prayer life. I've still got some work to do. I mean, I know God and Moses had a relationship. I know I have a relationship with God. I know many of you have a relationship with God, but I'll just be blunt with you. I've got a hard time wrapping my head around this prayer that Moses prays and how God seems to respond. This this prayer that Moses prays that we're going to look at today is in the Old Testament book of Numbers. If you want to go ahead and start uh, searching for Numbers, it's the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, You may not have spent a whole lot of time in Numbers this week, but we're going to be in Numbers chapter 14. Find Numbers 14, kind of hold the finger there. I'm so encouraged of a study that I read recently that said, man, coming out of the pandemic, there are more and more people who are longing for deeper biblical teaching 
and preaching and understanding. I, I really believe it's because people are, are so needing to wrap their minds and their hearts and their life around something that they can experience at a different level than maybe they ever have before. And so this series is going to meet <laughs> right in the middle of where that study is coming from because this series is going to take us deeper into God's Word, maybe in some ways that, that you and I haven't invested a whole lot of time studying. So we're going to look at lots of Scripture. We're going to try to capture some snapshots of, of some great uh, Old Testament saints' lives. And, and so if you haven't been studied up on some of these people, that's okay. We're going to try to, to, to do a, a quick run-through of their life and look at some of these different aspects that bring their relationship to the forefront in a way that we can look at and go, wow, that gives me something to shoot for. That gives me something to keep walking towards. I want to experience that kind of a relationship with God. And so we'll do that this morning as we look at the life of Moses. We'll get to this prayer of Moses in Numbers 14 in a few minutes. But before we get to this prayer, I want to show you something that I think is really at the heart of why I've had a hard time fully comprehending what unfolds in this ancient prayer from Moses. There's a line in Exodus chapter 33 that describes this special kind of relationship that Moses and God seem to have. Look what it says here. In Exodus 33, 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Uh, I pray. Raise your hand if you pray. You pray? We pray. Anybody been praying prayers that you're going, man, when I was praying this week, I was face to face with God. Not, I can't honestly say that. I can't honestly say I've ever been face-to-face -face with God where I could see God and God was seeing me in the way that I was looking right back at Him. I don't think that has to discourage us and disqualify us. I think it's just something to look at and go, the Scripture says Moses and God got face-to-face -face as a friend talking to another friend. I don't have that kind of experience right now. That's something that maybe you and I can begin to, to shoot for, to walk towards, to pray towards. There's something still on my horizon when it comes to my relationship with God and my prayer life with God. Maybe one day it might actually be described as face to face. I've still got work to do in my relationship. How about you? Yeah? That's nothing to be sad about or frustrated about. It's just, let's just be honest with that. We've all got room to grow, yes? Yes, absolutely. So let's grow. Let's go. Let's grow. Let's look at what Moses and his life looked like. And just notice some of the emotion. Notice some of the back and forth that we'll look at today as we study the life of Moses and see how his face-to-face -face relationship with God, how it develops over the years, over the story that we'll look at this morning. And then we'll get to that prayer in Numbers 14, and we can learn something from that prayer that I believe we can incorporate into our own lives. His prayer in Numbers 14 can, can be the evidence of this relational goal that maybe you and I could shoot for, move towards, aspire to. So keep a finger in in Numbers 14, and let's turn back to the left a little bit to the second book of the Bible, to Exodus. The first time we meet Moses is in Exodus chapter 2. Flip over to me uh, with me to Exodus chapter 2. Now, I'm going to just make some references and move quickly through the book of Exodus until we get into some of the later chapters, but I want you to be able to just know where some of these places in Moses' story are. Are located so you can go back and read them more fully this week. So we first meet Moses in, in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 2. Uh, as you're finding Exodus 2, 
uh, I'll remind you that in this series, Ancient Prayers for a New Year, I'm, I'm really leaning heavily on the work of an Old Testament scholar, brilliant, brilliant theologian and writer named Dr. Walter Brueggemann. And uh, much of this series comes from his book, um, Great Prayers in the Old Testament. And so I'm indebted to him. A lot of the words I'm using, a lot of the phrases, a lot of the thoughts are coming straight from him. So I want to be sure and give him credit. But man, his work has been inspiring to me. And I hope that it will be to you. And as Dr. Brueggemann says, this is how he kind of labels Moses. He labels Moses as the man in the middle. The man in the middle. We'll see Moses consistently being in the middle of people throughout and of God and and, and other people throughout his life here. He's the man in the middle. So we first meet Moses uh, in uh, Exodus 2. His birth is recorded in Exodus 2 verses 1 through 10. We're not going to read all that right now. But uh, at three months old, Moses actually was put in the middle of something. He was put in the middle of a basket, and he was put in the middle of the Nile River between the riverbanks. And uh, he, 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 was, he was put out there because there was a hit on his life, on not just his life, but all the lives of newborn Hebrew baby boys, much like when Jesus was born, if you think about it. When Jesus was born... In Bethlehem, Herod wanted all the boys under the age of two killed. Why? Because he was trying to eliminate a threat. That's the same reason that the hit was out on the Hebrew boys, Moses included. They were seen as a threat to Pharaoh because he thought, well, well, these Hebrews are going to multiply. These Israelites are going to multiply. They're going to overtake the, the Egyptians and thus enable them to get out of what they were in. And what they were in was a slavery status. They were enslaved people in Egypt. And so in order to save Moses' life, Moses' mother had his sister put Moses in the basket and put Moses in the middle of the Nile River. But in a way that the Pharaoh's daughter would see him. She was down at the Nile Riverbanks, bathing, getting cleaned up. And, and, and sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket in the water, sends someone to retrieve it, and ends up actually adopting Moses and raising Moses as her own child. And then in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 and following, it talks about a time when, when, when Moses had grown up, and he finds himself in the middle once again. This is a very important chapter in Moses' story. He's not in the middle of the river this time, but here he's caught in between the middle, between a brutalizing Egyptian taskmaster and this Hebrew slave. And in this part of the story, Moses is caught between his old Egyptian taskmaster and he kills him because he just couldn't stand the injustice that was happening to one of his own, the Hebrew slave. He kills the taskmaster. He buries him in the sand. He couldn't stand the forced labor that he was witnessing and watching. Moses took matters into his own hand. He kills the Egyptian taskmaster, buries him in the sand. He later gets called out by his own people for what he had done. Somebody saw, somebody heard, they called him out about it. And in response to that, Moses ends up fleeing to a place far away in Midian where nobody knew Moses. And he could start over in his life again. So while Moses is fleeing and trying to get away from his past, Dr. Brueggemann notes something. He notes that there's just no doubt in his mind that this violent interaction, 
This violent confrontation is actually what compels Moses into his vocation as the future liberator of Israel and the disturber of Egyptian and and the whole empire of Egypt and their cheap labor policies, their slavery. I want you to know something. You might want to jot this down. It won't be on the screen, but man, it's it's such a true thing. God can use things in our past to shape us for our future. God can use things in our past to shape us for our future, that future that he has in mind. Even those things in our past that may be painful and may be quite disturbing. And so as we zoom out from the story years later, like 40-something years later, the, the, the central drama of the Exodus narrative is that Moses, again, is this man in the middle. And this time, Moses is in the middle between God and Pharaoh. He's the middleman between God and Pharaoh. And God gives Moses his marching orders in Exodus chapter 3. I want you to see this and underline it. It's very, very important to the life of Moses. Exodus 3 verse 10 says this. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that right there, this is Moses' assignment from God. That's the assignment God gives to Moses. This is what I want your life to be about. And Moses does what we do a lot of times. Gives every excuse in the book why not me. There's surely somebody else. Where's Mikey? He'll try it. He'll try anything. Let him do it. Some of you are going, who's Mikey? It's an old serial killer. Raise your hand if you know who Mikey is. If you don't know who Mikey is, Google it. Not now, later. Or if you get bored now, now it's fine. Whatever. I don't care. You probably weren't one in the study that wanted to go deeper, and that's okay. I'm just glad you're here. Join us again whenever you get through Googling. So Moses gives all kinds of excuses. Why he... Why why God should give somebody else that assignment. But God gives Moses something. God gives Moses reassurances in in Exodus chapter 4. Saying, Moses, I'm going to be with you each step of the way. I'm going to be with you in this assignment. You're not going to have to go this alone. So Moses, he goes back to Egypt. He becomes the middleman. He acts as this messenger of God to Pharaoh. And if you read through Exodus chapters 5 through chapter 11, what you will see is Moses repeatedly going to Pharaoh with a message from God to let God's people of Israel go free. And Pharaoh just keeps rejecting the message that Moses gives from God. And after 10 rounds of diplomacy and severe plagues, Pharaoh finally bends. He finally breaks. He finally lets the Israelites go free. We see that in Exodus chapter 12 and 13. So off the Israelites go, following Moses out of the slave camps of Pharaoh. You think they're happy? Yes? Yes? Oh, yeah. They'd been there for 400 years. You bet they were ready to go. They were sick of it. So ready to be liberated. Don't forget that. Because we're going to see a different side of these free and liberated people here in a few minutes. But man, off they go. Out of the slave camps. Following Moses. After what became known as the Passover. And towards the Egyptian wilderness, they all went. And before they get too far, again, Moses will find himself 
as the man in the middle. He's in the middle again. And this time, out in the wilderness, he's going to be between God and the people of Israel. So not too far out of camp, the Israelites, they start second-guessing Moses' leadership. And they start actually accusing Moses of putting them at risk. When it seems that they're out of options, they hadn't been going too far, now they're camped at the Red Sea, and now Pharaoh has changed his mind. Have you ever known anybody that changes their mind about something? Yeah? Any politicians change their mind? Yes? Pharaoh fits the bill. He changes his mind. He's going, what was I thinking? Go get them. Bring them back here. We got work to do. No, they got work to do. And so he sends his armies out to get the Israelites whose backs are up against the Red Sea now. In Exodus chapter 14, look at this. Look what it says in Exodus 14. This is rich. Exodus 14 verses 11 through 13. They said to Moses, it's because there are no graves in Egypt. That you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. What the what? What? They were saying that? This is revisionist history, friends. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Pretty strong words. Now, if God was going to come through on that, wouldn't you think you'd change your tune? I would. And God comes through. And God rescues the Israelites. And he parts the Red Sea. And Moses continues leading the people across. And when they get across and the Egyptian armies are following them, God closes the sea up on them. And they never see them again, just like God said. That would change my tune. Would it yours? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it would. And now Moses, he continues leading the people of Israel as God asks him to do. And he heads out towards this mountain known as Mount Sinai. It's an important mountain in the story. Mount Sinai. Along the way, Moses continues to be at odds with his own people, Israel, because these people continue to remain skeptical that God is actually moving them out of the land of slavery towards a promised land of provision and blessing. They're like, I don't know about this. And the people, they actually get more and more anxious as they're walking deeper into the wilderness and toward this new life that God has promised to lead them toward. Look what it says in Exodus 16. Flip over a couple of chapters. Exodus 16, verse 3, it says this, And the people of Israel said to them, who's them? It's Moses and his brother Aaron who was helping to lead the people, okay? Moses and Aaron. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots, and we ate bread to the full. It was so good. You brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Remember when we had it so good when we were enslaved? That was awesome. Remember the good old days? We had all we wanted to eat. Look at the next chapter, verses 2 and 3 from chapter 17. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled, underline that word grumbled. 
And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I'll tell you this right now. This is not what Moses signed up for. This is not what he wanted. So much resistance. Thank goodness he didn't say you have to wear a mask all the way out here. Boy, he'd have really had it. All this resist we don't know anything about grumbling, do we? Murmuring, complaining. That was them. That's not us. Wink, wink, tongue in cheek. So much resistance. And so Moses, in exasperation, watch what he does here. He's going to lean into his developing relationship with God. And he's going to ask for guidance. And God gives Moses reassurance in verses 4 through 6. Look at verses 4 through 6, Exodus 17. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So if he comes through here, then they're really going to quit their complaining, right? I mean, Red Sea wasn't good enough, water out of a rock, okay, God, you win. You're really, you really know what you're doing. Moses is the man. Four more years. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. They never are satisfied. They're just never satisfied. And so again, God comes through. The people of Israel get what they need. Moses keeps leading from the middle between God and the people. And yet this ongoing criticism and being in dispute of Moses, the middleman, remains to the point that we keep following them all the way out to chapters 32, 33, and 34. Flip over to 32, 33, and 34. Watch this. And we find now God in dispute with Israel this time. And, and it's really focused on Aaron, what Aaron, Moses' brother, has done. Because Moses has followed God's call up onto the mountain, Mount Sinai. And while he was away, Aaron starts doing some crazy stuff. And he starts asking for people's gold. And he actually forms a golden calf. Because the people are going, well, we don't know where God and Moses went, so we got to worship something. How about the golden calf? Yeah, that's a good idea. That's not a good idea. Because now God's getting angry. Dr. Brueggemann notes something. He notes that in order to fend off God's anger against these the stiff-necked Israelite people, watch this, Moses actually prays that God should change his mind. You ever prayed that God would change his mind? Moses prayed that. And he says, the reason you ought to change your mind, God, is on the basis of the promises that you've made to our faith ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at this interaction between Moses and God in prayer. In Exodus 32, verses 12 and 13. Remember, Moses' relationship is continuing to develop. From, no Lord, not me, to, no Lord, change your mind on what you're about to do here. He's grown. Look what it says in Exodus 32. Verses 12 and 13. Moses says, Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent, 
did he, God, bring them out? To kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Change your mind, God. Verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. And you said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Think about this, God. Change your mind or what you're about to do. How's that going to come true? Moses and God are face-to-face on this, yes? And finally, in order to begin again, in covenant relationship, after this this breach that was caused by Aaron and the golden calf, and and after Moses came down, he got pretty pretty hot too, and he, he throws the Ten Commandments at him. He was so angry at what he saw the people worshiping this golden calf and, and, and he destroys the Ten Commandments. God and Moses have this vigorous exchange in which God asserts his own gracious freedom in Exodus 33, 19. And God tells Moses, look at this in Exodus 33, 19. Okay, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God then makes this self-announcement concerning his own fidelity. And and, and his own rigor in the next chapter. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. I want you to take note. Remember these words that God says here. Because we're going to see these words again that God spoke in this prayer that Moses prays in Exodus 14. Look what God says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Highlight that. Hold on to those verses. You're going to see them again. Those are the words of God that Moses is going to pray back to God a little further in the story. And in response to this announcement by God, Moses prays that God would pardon Israel. Look what he says in verses 8 and 9. Exodus 34, 8 and 9. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff Necked people and pardon our, he's looping himself in there, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. He's just leaning into his relationship with God. He's praying his guts out on behalf of his own people who've been just whipping him with murmuring and grumbling, by the way, for years. But man, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed at the the, the, the unfolding, just watching the relationship of Moses and God play out in these moments of authentic prayer. Moses in the middle between God and Israel. And Moses is praying for mercy. And that God would pardon these grumbling people. 
and asking God, would you give us all a fresh start? Would you give us a new chance? Would you give us a new hope and a future? And you know what? God agrees. God agrees to renew his covenant with Israel. In verse 10, in spite of the golden calf and the ways that the people of Israel had been sinning and had been acting out. Look at God's response in verse 10, Exodus 34, 10. And he, God, said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Wow. How about that? The man in the middle, Moses... He seems to have revived the covenant between God and Israel through his prayers. Talk about an ancient prayer for a new year. Wow! It was because he was interceding on behalf of the people. How much interceding are we doing versus pointing at the culture around us just going, I hate them. I hate what they're doing. Look what they're doing. They're taking away my nation. Moses has a different approach. One that I need to look at and move toward. Because Moses is looping himself in with that nation. Saying, God have mercy. God have mercy. Dr. Brueggemann notes, as the narrative carries Israel... From the contested encounter at Sinai into this wilderness sojourn, things don't get better between God and Israel. They just don't. The the wilderness is found to be what it is, a wilderness. Not much resources out there. Not much to do out there but wander around. Scant resources for life. So scant that Israel is angry again. You see, it's just, it never ends. They just keep on being angry. If you've been angry a long time, man, draw near this morning and learn from our ancestors of the faith. There's something for us here. They're angry. Moses is displeased. God, in turn, is provoked to anger. Against the complaining people of Israel. God and Israel are in fact so fed up with each other. And Moses is yet again caught where? In the, he's in the middle. And so we turn over to Numbers 14. Where we find this prayer. That we want to end with today. And we want to consider some things. So Israel, again, wants to escape the wilderness, revoke the exodus, and vote somebody else into leadership that will take them back to Egypt. My goodness. (laughs) If we could just go back to the good old days where we got beat, that would be great. We had no freedom. Remember those good days? If somebody else could be voted in. It's right there in Numbers 14, verse 4. Look what it says. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to where? Egypt. Dr. Brueggemann notes that this this proposal that they bring is actually a repudiation of the leadership of Moses. And of the intention that God had for the people of Israel. And just this persistent murmur of dissatisfaction about their sad life, their bad circumstances, and God's had it up to here. God's exasperated. And God shares this exasperation with Moses, his friend, his confidant. 
And God (laughs) begins his reaction to this Israelite pity party and complaining with a double dose of how long. Notice this. It's this recurring phrase of exhausted patience in Numbers 14, verse 11. Look at it here. And the Lord said to Moses, say it with me, How long will these people despise me? And say it with me, How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? That's a fair question. What do I have to do? (laughs) Is what God said. And after God's complaint, he's just complaining to Moses now. Look, people are rubbing off on God, it seems like. Maybe, maybe not. Now God issues to Moses a remarkable alternative plan. An alternative proposal. That maybe God should just eliminate Israel, which constantly is obstinate, and they're thumbing their nose at me and my goodness and my provision and God actually suggests just forming a whole new nation that only consists of Moses I like you I'm tired of them verse 12 look what God suggests I'll strike them with pestilence and disinherit them and I'll make of you Moses a nation greater and mightier than they and here's where Moses starts praying This ancient prayer that blows me away. Here is where you and I need to see and hear and consider and learn from verses 13 through 19. And out of devotion to Israel, Moses actually resists God's alternative plan that entailed terminating all of Israel. Look at Moses' prayer. Starting in verse 13, Exodus, excuse me, Numbers 14, 13. But Moses said to the Lord, if you do all that, God, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and and they'll tell the inhabitants of the land. They've heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then then the nations who've heard of your fame will say, It's because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them. That he's killed them in the wilderness. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great. As you have promised, saying, and I quote, from an earlier prayer time I had with you, God, in which you said these words, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Did you notice it? Did you notice what Moses did here in the prayer? I I, I told you. (laughs) He was coming back. He quotes God's own words back to him. There in verse 18. That God had said to Moses when Moses and God were in prayer back in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Moses is begging God to be true to his own nature and character, and self. Be true to who you are, God. Be the God who gives no other nation, not Egypt or any other nation, a reason to ever doubt that you could do what you said that you were going to do. Don't give them any reason to doubt you. God, be faithful to your own plans. God, pardon your people. Because of your steadfast love, not because they're any different. They're going to probably keep wandering. 
He's saying, God, let love win. Let love rule. You can do it, God. <laughs> Moses is giving God a pep talk. I know you can do it. That's what Moses is praying. And look how God responds here. Verses 20 to 23. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Wow. Moses' prayer made a difference. I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. Be careful about murmuring and grumbling and complaining this week, men and women. God does not forget. God says, I hear you, Moses. I will pardon. I will not wipe them out, but none of them are going to the promised land. God's saying, I don't reward disobedience. Why don't you post that today? God doesn't reward disobedience. But post it to yourself. He said, I don't honor obstinance. Constant complaining removes my beautiful blessing. And if we read one more verse, we see God reference somebody. He references one of the spies that were sent out to survey the promised land and bring back a report. The story is actually in the previous chapter, Numbers 13. So 12 spies went out, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 went out Two come back with positive reviews. The other ten were all a bunch of negative Nancys. If your name's Nancy and you're not negative, then I'm not talking to you. And can I just tell you, God's so fed up with the negative, no can do attitude. The moaning, the complaining, the longing for yesterday in Egypt when it was so good. Rather than the provision and the blessing that God was leading his people toward in the promised land of Canaan. He was leading them to freedom. He was leading them to blessing. He was leading them to a hope and a future. And don't ever forget this because I won't. Ten negative people can cause great damage to God's plans and to God's people. But two faithful people can bring hope and beautiful blessing through which God will work. Which camp are you in? The ten or the two? God wants to do beautiful and great things through you men and women. And the two who saw the goodness that God was providing, their names were Joshua and Caleb. Look what God says in Numbers 14, 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has what kind of spirit? He's got a different spirit. He's not a mumbler, a grumbler, and a complainer. He's got a different spirit and has followed me fully. I'll bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. What does that mean? It means this. God remembers faithfulness. Would you say that with me? 
God remembers faithfulness. One of the things I love about the people of Arapahoe Road is it is littered with faithful men and women of God. Faithful people. And he will not forget you. Why? Because God remembers faithfulness. God remembers. God rewards those who follow his ways, who follow his words fully. And God did what he decided to do, which was to bring an enslaved people out of slavery into freedom, into blessing, eventually. Eventually. And while I can't get my head all around all of that, what keeps causing me to marvel is how Moses and God had this relationship that was just very different than what I experience. There's something that they had that I'm still aspiring to. Not quite there yet, but it encourages me to keep praying because I think my prayers are like that compound interest. It just keeps generating something and building something over time. In Moses' prayer, I see a boldness. I see a man who's willing to stand in the middle to be a bridge between God and his people in ways that, quite frankly, I don't always do so well. Maybe you don't either. In Moses' prayer, I see a deep love for his community more than I have for mine I can grow there can you yeah in Moses's prayer I see this greater passion that that stirs Moses to take an initiative that God would just pardon and bring forgiveness on those who keep moving away from God sometimes I'm just like let them go and Moses is going bring them back I can grow there, can you? I see a relationship and an intimacy in the way Moses prays that frankly is just deeper and richer and more consequential than what I currently experience. How about you? I see in Moses and God friends. I want that kind of friendship. And yet some days there seems to be a grand canyon between him and me. But God's going, let's hike. Come on. Get back in the game. Quit beating yourself up. This prayer of Moses, it encourages me. The life of Moses, it encourages me to keep pursuing God. To dive deeper in my times alone with the Lord. My understanding of who God is. Because I want to know God like Moses knows God. How about you? Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.